We're back. Welcome back. Oh, Dave, like welcome back. I'm not sure that we needed. I'm not sure that we needed that. I'm not sure that was really. Hey, any show with Vinny Barbarino in it, and Horshack. Horshack. So, uh, you know what? It's been a while, and I'm. I don't know whether to blame Nate. I don't know whether to blame the economy. Um, but we've been so darn busy. We have not. Uh, we haven't had a podcast in a while, and our. You know, and I we've got some complaints from our, you know, massive audience. Loyal, loyal listeners. Loyal following. But, Which is like, you know, you know, at least two people. Let's put not let's not put numbers on it. Oh, okay. That's probably so a good idea. This is uh we're back with the development debate podcast. We have the great Jason Kester with us, the the king of Agricell. Thank you. And uh we are gonna chat about I think a really cool topic, and that's um, redevelopment of, of mall sites, what, what I would tend to call, you know, Grayfield mall sites. And, and you know, really, um, it's a big topic because uh, of the massive changes going on in the retail sector. Um, you know, the, the, the data is, is just simply incredible. Uh, the reports indicate that consumers spent $861 billion online with U.S. merchants in 2020. That is up 44%. Um, you know, much like the, the COVID-15 with, you know, you know I, I know Nate didn't gain any weight, but, but I may have. Um, certainly I did, dramatic. and then I, I did, and then I decided I had to lose it. I mean, you know, I, oh, it's so it, wasn't, it wasn't good. And then you know, it's really just uh, uh, just kind of put gasoline on the fire of this e-commerce uh, trend. Um, it's actually triple the uh, the rate of fifteen point one percent in in two thousand nineteen. So it is um, it's big. It is uh, you know I think um, very much impacting development and site selection patterns. It's obviously we have been doing uh, well. We've been doing a lot of uh, Industrial development work driven by logistics facilities, driven by e-commerce, of course, at the end of the day. But the other reality is, is you know, big changes in the other side of that market that that the retail piece and, you know, quite frankly, the big, big, beautiful indoor malls that my generation grew up uh, going to. And this is the places that, you know, that we hung out in high school, uh, you, you know, they're dying. And the question is. Uh, what what are they going to become? And that's that is what we are going to discuss today. So um, you know, Nate is uh, you know he's got he's got like three hundred and eleven questions for Jason. I don't I, Jason. Hey, I almost hey. feel like this is a deposition for I you. Wanted so you be, need... I wanted to be thorough. Okay, I wanted to be thorough with what well, since we had the man Jason Kester. I mean, not everybody right. gets this opportunity. Let's no, just be clear right. about that. Not everybody no. gets this opportunity. So no, no. But uh, Jason, thanks for thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, you've you've had a couple couple three years, I think, at Agricel, and you've got a lot of yep. economic development experience. And um, uh, it, it, we're really you know uh, honored to have you on the podcast, as I think that your experience uh, with Agricel has really um, it's it's. It's been great and it's been valuable. And I think for, for anybody listening to our podcast, it's a, 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 a big deal. And um, 
you know, it'll really help inform them what they're, what they want to do in their communities potentially. So let's just start out, uh, Jason, why don't you, why don't you talk a little bit about yourself, uh, give us your background, uh, talk about AgriCell and, you know, what you guys do, and, and then we'll get into my 311 questions. Cool. Hey, thanks, Nate. Yeah, Jason Kester, I'm the regional director for AgriCell, uh, our office here in Columbus, Ohio. We've got five offices around the country. Uh, I kind of handle the Ohio and contiguous states um, kind of area for AgriCell, but we're an industrial developer. We help companies uh, build and develop new industrial sites. We will go in sometimes and rehab former sites. We're not a construction company. We just are a developer that brings um, you know, funding with us. Uh, typically, when we do these things, we then lease them to the tenants for five years or 10 years, some sort of long-term lease. Uh, we're also pretty active in the capital markets where we go in and acquire a lot of your industrial facilities around the country are already leased, and uh, there's a big buy and sell and trade of those, those leases. Uh, a little bit about me. So I was the... Um, my kind of my economic development experience. I've been with AgriCell for about three years now. Prior to that, I was briefly at, at Jobs Ohio, like Nate. Um, I also spent some time being a local economic development director of my hometown, which I would never recommend to anyone. <laughs> Going back also, to your hometown or being a local economic development director? Which either, one? Either. Oh, okay. I, okay. I, I just I, want to be clear. Either. I think that's the... Uh, I think the top of my Twitter uh, says, uh, you know, what's the thing that almost killed you? And I quote tweeted that and said, being the uh, local economic development director in my hometown. Um, <laughs> well, you know what they say, you can never go home again. You can yeah, never go right. home again. And sometimes after being the economic development director, you can't go back. Um, the other, I also spent, I also spent uh, about a year in Afghanistan uh, prior to that, doing a little bit of everything, but part of that was uh, community development. My first actual economic development, community development um, uh, project that I worked on was building a kind of a career and technical center in Masr Sharif, Afghanistan, and helping kids get enrolled to uh, make shoes, do sewing, uh, do some kind of low skill uh, basic tasks so that they would have a task when they kind of we partnered with an orphanage to build a workforce development center for the orphans. So they'd have a skill whenever they matriculated out of, out of the orphanage in Afghanistan, but we had to run water lines and deal with basically zoning. And, um, you know, the zoning issue there was, you know, blast proofing the building. So it was a little bit different, but still, still generally the same infrastructure and workforce that doesn't really yeah. crap. Right. Around the world. It's all the same. That's interesting. I had, I, you know, you, I think you've, you've told that story before Jason, but it, it's always interesting to hear because it's, it's unique and it gives you kind of an international perspective, uh, you know, on how things, how things work. I, and other I, I thought you were, I thought you were fighting the communists in Afghanistan. We were, was that a different war? For sure. They actually did a study. <laughs> they did a study right as I was the state department of the United States did a study, a survey of uh, Afghans right before I left. Uh, 3% knew what 9-11 was and why the U.S. was there. And this was in 2012, you know, 11 years later. And 40% of Afghans thought we were part of the Russian military that had come back. So our, you know, when you talk about marketing and imaging and getting the right message out to get support for your programs and your community, we had not done that. And that is all uh, like we, economic development. Seems like we should have got some ads on TV or something. Yeah, I mean, you would think that we'd have a good ad campaign or something, you know, a good mm. PR campaign. That's, that doesn't seem right. Think, well, hey, uh, so let's let's get in to talk about Grayfield Malls, uh, you know, aging malls, whatever it is. I think, you know, uh, Jason, you've you've been Agricel has been looking at these more recently um, and, and how to redevelop them. Um, I, I guess kind of two questions for you. One. 
why have you all decided to start down that path? And then I guess if you could just talk about from your experience, what issues you've run into, the advantages that you've seen uh, in those markets uh, or, or in those malls, I think uh, it would be, be really helpful to understand. Yeah, so corporately, AgriCell tries to focus on kind of medium to smaller size communities. So um, everything from, you know, let's say a, a community the size of Toledo uh, down to uh, doing a project in, in, you know, rural eastern, southeastern Ohio that doesn't have cell phone service, uh, you know, anywhere around the building. So we typically try to stay in medium to smaller sized communities. But um, here lately in the last really since the start of the pandemic, probably in the last year or so, um, I've seen a number of uh, opportunities come along where either manufacturing or distribution was looking to locate maybe closer to an urban center uh, or a town center uh, to get closer to workforce, get closer to an OEM, something of that nature. So we've just had some opportunities lately. So I've started kind of going down that path. I, I, I vaguely have some understanding of working on some projects at Jobs Ohio, some of the uh, you know, our favorite online retailer, some of what their requirements were, and just kind of sitting in some of those meetings and hearing some, some more stories from those, from, from groups that worked on them. Um, but uh, yeah, so we just kind of started exploring it just to try to get more knowledge, more understanding of it, because I think it's going to be something that might be important, you know, in the future. Absolutely. What, uh, you know, as you started to look at these sites, and I know that you're, you, you've looked at several of them, and I don't know if you've, you've actually taken you know, taking control of any of them, but you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of issues have you seen, have you run into uh, as you're looking at those sites? Yeah, so the biggest thing that I've learned, um, and this was actually something I learned at Jobs Ohio, it's been reinforced um, here at AgriCell, is that a lot of times there's some very complex easement and ownership issues with these sites. So something I, I never really understood was that, let's say you have a mall and you have Elder Bierman and Sears and J.C. Penney's kind of as your anchor tenants. A lot of times those, those, those wings of the mall may have been developed by separate developers, uh, especially if the mall is older and has changed hands. There may be some sort of property division uh, among those different wings of the mall. You know, parking lot A may be owned by tenant C, C's parking lot may be owned by A. Uh, there's all kinds of strange utility easements and accesses cutting across everyone's properties. You got to remember everybody has an access easement so you can walk from each individual part of the mall to the other. Typically those kind of converge at the food court. Um, all of those work great when the mall is up and running, but what you run into is when you start trying to redevelop the site, you have to meet the demands and make happy all of those people that control those various easements. So if you have a utility easement, even though it's one giant site, if it goes across three different, four different owners' properties, most of the utility companies look at that as four different projects. So as you're working through that normally tedious and slow process to get them to deal with their easement issues or extinguish those easements, they're looking at it not as one project, but as four. You may have one owner that wants a certain value for his property or her property, and someone else wants a different value for their property. Um, so you, this it gets real complex, and the surveys and the easements uh, extinguishing those, the title work um, can sometimes be very costly and very complicated. Um, you know, another issue we're going to run into um, is obviously brownfield and environmental issues. Um, so you really got to understand what those are. You wouldn't think there would be many, um, but there always are, um, whether it's from the food court or from shipping or from just cars parking there over, you know, 30 or 40 years, uh, you're going to have some brownfield uh, issues. Another issue, if you're looking at it for some sort of industrial warehousing, something along that line, uh, redevelopment, 
um, while a lot of the malls are dying off, a lot of the out parcels are still doing all right. You know, if you think about the old mall, you know, maybe the Applebee's or the Taco Bell or the, the sport clips or whatever that's in the kind of the out parcels around the mall are still, you know, thriving and doing what they're supposed to be doing. So does it make sense to introduce truck traffic uh, into that situation where there's people walking around, where there's cars, you know, if you think back to your various site selection and, and site certification or authentication programs that, you know, you don't want to have incompatible uses. You don't want to have pedestrians, dogs and cats, farm animals, et cetera, near where you're going to have semi-trucks. So it doesn't make sense to have semi-trucks coming and going, you know, past Applebee's and the sport clips. Um, it may, it may not. It, it depends on a bunch of uh, other factors we'll, we'll talk about here in a second. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you another thing that I've um, that I've seen with these malls isn't just the easements, but it's it's these leases that were drafted in the '50s when the anchor yeah. tenants, in essence, the 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 Sears, the J.C. Penney, the Lazarus, whoever it was, that was one of the huge stores in the mall. Um, one, they were given incredible power, you know, that they still have. Um, yep. Second, a lot of these stores, they own the they own the store and they own the land. So you you may have this notion, you may see this kind of dead mall that's completely closed, and you may think, oh, I just got to go talk to landowner X. Mm -hmm. The reality is, you got to talk to landowner X. But then, more importantly, you have to find someone at Sears that cares. And um, you know, we've been through this uh, with a client trying to redevelop uh, a mall site. It's not that easy sometimes to find someone that cares about, you know, basically an asset that's just that's just sitting there. And it, um, uh, it, it can really make, you know, moving quickly very, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, there's I've seen some leases where, you know, the anchor tenants have a right of first refusal on blocking anyone that comes in to do an adjacent you know land use or land ownership uh, they have a right of first refusal to acquire if a tenant goes out um, yeah and as Dave mentioned even if it's not Sears almost all of the people that are buying up uh, these malls are not local to the Midwest uh, they're typically out of New York they're typically out of the West Coast um, so you know even if you're dealing with a, a non-large corporation it, it's normally an out-of-town landowner who may or may not be super motivated to cooperate or sell their easement or sell their piece of property yeah which is interesting I think that makes it hard and I think it makes it you know it's obviously comes with its own with its own kind of challenges and uh, it, you know makes things difficult I, so you know Jason talking through the just the issues you come up with when you're dealing with these sites I mean there, I think there's a, there's obviously a lot of advantages because we've seen, I mean, just different entities. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Amazon, but there's obviously others. But, you know, when you look at these sites, like what beyond those issues, which we have to overcome because they're, you know, they're, they're legacy sites, for lack of a better word. What are the big advantages you see to these sites uh, as you as you look through them? Yeah, so I mean, I think some of the, the key issues are most of these sites are on most of these uh, you know buildings and malls are on sites that obviously are already connected to your, to your utilities. So you're already hooked up. You know what 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 the impacts are. You know how much flows there. You know what the electricity is. Um, you know if you demolish a mall, you're going to have um, you know a site that's already got a paved parking lot that's already been packed down. It's already been built on. Um, so, you know, a lot of your site development on a greenfield cost can be mitigated because you're going to have a site that's already pretty much you know, infrastructure um, and, and, you know, development wise. 
you know, another thing you're going to run into is, uh, and I hadn't really thought about this till a project we were working on recently, is um, the benefit to a mall is most of the time it was built around um, a community, right? Or the community grew up around it. So you're going to have the ability to have access to a workforce that may be a little bit different than you will in some greenfield sites on the edge of town. You're going to have mature transportation options, whether that's bus, cab, Uber, you're going to be in town. Uh, typically, the malls in most of the, the Midwest part of the United States and the Southeast kind of grew up around the big factory in town. So, you know, the mall normally kind of grew up around that. So if you're looking to supply that big manufacturer, the mall site is probably going to be within five, 10 minutes of the big factory that it grew up with the community that worked there, went to the mall and bought their goods and services. Um, so you're going to be able to maybe cut down on those transportation costs uh, for the supplier if you can co-locate them close to where um, close to where the, the manufacturer is. Um, you know, really the workforce has been something that um, has really come up a lot lately in a, in a project we've been working on, just the access to maybe a bigger community with that robust transportation infrastructure. Because, you know, if someone's able to ride a bus, um, there's always bus line, pretty much every mall, if you drive around and look at it, pretty much any public transportation has to stop there. So if you have the ability to already have that public transportation network set up where those folks can come in, ride a bus, those established networks, um, it gives you access to a little bit different workforce that maybe you, you won't find uh, in a new greenfield industrial park far out on, you know, 20 minutes outside of town. Yeah. Uh, and I totally agree, Jason. I think that that, you know, that there's, there's a lot of reasons why these, why these, uh, you know, these malls make sense for redevelopment. I think that's also why we're seeing some other just brownfield sites in cities come back on the market and have, uh, you know, have success because of all those things you talked about. Um I would say that the other one I forgot too was just your construction cost. I mean, if anybody follows me on LinkedIn, I've been posting about it pretty vociferously lately, but uh, steel costs, construction materials costs are going cuckoo for cocoa puffs right now. Um, kind of a kind of a combo of, of things from demand, uh, the tariffs that have been imposed in the steel market, and then shutdowns of a lot of your, your manufacturing kind of through the fall and, and early winter. Uh, we're kind of coming into that, that dip. Um, so we just a lot of things converging, but you know, a project we're working on right now, steel cost every 30 days goes up about 5%. Yeah. So a lot of times these upfits of these, while ceiling pipes might be a problem, the upfit of these existing facilities may be, you know, still be cheaper. Are you going in Jason and actually using the existing mall or are you tearing, tearing them down and putting up new buildings? I mean, what's your, or is it a little bit of both? Um, the couple of projects that I've looked at recently, uh, one is a complete teardown. Um, there's mm -hmm. a pad, so it'll be looking at a completely new upfit um, construction. Um, the other project we looked at, or that I was looking at, uh, was sort of a, a combo, um, utilizing part of the mall infrastructure, maybe as like an office component or, or kind of a in-between kind of space, and then adding... Yeah them all with new construction to meet the um, meet the ceiling heights and some of the construction standards you want for kind of warehousing and distribution and, and kind of today's market yeah okay cool that make and i and i yeah and that makes that makes a lot of sense um we you know we've mentioned amazon but uh they, they obviously aren't the only game in town what other what other companies maybe not companies in particular but industries or uh sectors are you seeing that are going into these spaces yeah, so, you know, typically, um, you know, your, your major food and auto OEMs, you know, want their suppliers to be uh, close by. 
uh, whether that's, um, you know, a lot of times there's an agreement where from the supplier into the OEM, the OEM pays that freight, right? So the closer yeah. you get, the cheaper the cost for the OEM. Um, so that, that's the kind of manufacturing projects that, that I've seen going on these sites, but obviously trucking, logistics, warehousing, distribution. Um, if you're kind of following along with some of the NAOP or SIOR, the kind of the broker uh, magazines, you know, they're starting to see a lot of, a lot of cold storage redevelopment as we're shifting, you know, to get, get products closer. Um, so pretty much. Yeah, that's a good point. And you're right. Cold storage is, I mean, that's a, that's a growing market. I think especially, well, I mean, just with everything, it's kind of in the e-commerce vein, but I think that's a, that's a bigger, you know, people want things closer to them because they want it right away. Yeah. Most of the mall sites have pretty decent power and cold storage obviously is a large power uh, consumer. Yeah. Uh, you can get, you know, right into a urban center near, you know, where you're going to be distributing to grocery stores um, already have a pretty robust electric network and, and, you know, go right yeah. in. So, yeah, yeah. You don't need to, yeah, there's not a lot. You, well, you have to obviously retrofit, you know, maybe some of the electric and maybe the utilities, but at least it's there. It's not, it's not as costly as having to bring it from a mile away or something like that. You may have to redo it on yeah, site. For sure. But, for sure. There's, there's yeah. always, there's always expense and upgrades, but yeah. The other thing I've seen just here close to where I'm sitting at my house is um, here in Columbus is uh, kind of redevelopment of mall sites into, you know, multifamily apartment style, um, you know, housing options. Yeah. Uh, pretty much, you know, before a year and a half ago, I'd never heard a local EDO talking about having to target housing, but it seems like every economic development entity I talk to these days is having to do some sort of housing study or understanding the need for housing. But a lot of times, these sites are great because they're already next to, you know, maybe you don't want to live across the street from the sport clips, but typically you do some sort of mixed use or apartment redevelopment. You can kind of screen some of that off and you're good to go for, for a housing project. Well, absolutely. And, you know, every community, I mean, it doesn't really matter if you're in Grove City, you're in downtown Columbus, you're in Athens. Um you know, you, they need housing. They have a they have a lack of housing. They have a lack of most of them, the unfortunate part is uh, have a lack of like in those mixed, you know, multifamily places, mixed use, a lot of them just, they lack newer, newer options, um, yeah. that people, you know, that people want to live in and, and professionals want to live in. I think that's a, that's a good point, Jason, because that's a, not only mixed use. I mean, we, we, you don't see it on brownfield sites, but you know, single families as a need everywhere you go to, but, but that's a good point. Well, there's a, up on the <clears throat> city site up in Flint, Michigan, um, there is an absolutely beautiful, uh, right just north of downtown, uh, they've redeveloped some of that park into like 10 and, and five and 10 acre, 50, 100,000 square foot buildings. And then right near that on the Brownfield site, they have an absolutely beautiful uh, single family redevelopment on, on the, uh, the old uh, Buick City site. It's, it's no kidding. That's an inter huh. That's interesting. How that must have been a huge site. Is it a big site, Chester? Um, yeah. At one point in time, there's like 20 or 30,000 people worked there and it was three or 4,000. Wow. It was the largest GM plant, but if anyone's ever, you know, I know Flint gets kind of a, a bad rap sometimes, but they've done a really nice job with the redevelopment of their downtown. And if you go north out of downtown, there, there's University of Michigan campus, this real nice little business park, and then done a really good job redeveloping some single family housing right, right outside of downtown, all new build professional. Wow. Housing. They, huh, did a good job. Cool. they did a good job with cool. kind of some earth mounds and trees and things kind of screening it off, kind of making yeah. it its own little neighborhood. Yeah, that's pretty neat. That's a that's a great adaptive reuse. Well, I tell you, I got I've got uh, I think we've got two more questions for you, Kester, before before we wrap things up. The first one, um, 
is, you know, you deal with economic development professionals all the time. You're, you are one, you have been one. You know, what advice do you have for economic development uh, professionals with, you know, if they have aging, aging malls in their communities? Yeah, so a couple of things, I, you know, make sure you understand what those environmental, kind of like what Dave talked about with, you know, the ownership, like, is it something we're going to have to deal with Sears corporate, um, you know, understand any of those easement issues, you know, whether that's getting with a firm, some type of environmental or, or surveying firm and kind of working through kind of what those issues are, put a price on the cost to remedy those, you know, because basically at the end of the day, companies, one thing I've learned by being at Agricell, I mean, it's all about return on investment and what, what the dollar cost is, what's the, the pricing competitive advantage to the site. So um, if that's an unknown, it, the site's probably not competitive. Uh, so you just need to know that. Kind of like we were just talking about, you just kind of, you know, as an EDO, you just got to be realistic with yourself. Look at the site. Does it make sense to be industrial? Does it make sense more to be housing? Does it make more sense to be mixed use? And that, that's something that only you're going to know based upon surrounding uses, access to highways. Are there pedestrians around? What are the infrastructure? How bad are the issues? You know, we just talked about um, and, and those sorts of things. Also, you know, if you've got a beautiful, nice industrial park on the edge of town, you've got some shovel-ready sites, some authenticated sites, some certified sites, it probably doesn't make a big, a lot of sense to jump into, um, you know, doing this. But if you're a community that's kind of, you know, maybe you're bound up by suburbs on the other side, or maybe you don't have the infrastructure out on the edge of town to make an industrial park, maybe this is the right place to plant your flag and, and do a project because a lot of those really expensive you know, infrastructure is always the most expensive part of site development. So if it's already there, this might be the place to plant your flag and, and, and look. But it really kind of depends upon doing a, an analysis uh, yourself uh, to what you can do. You know, and you need to be able to communicate on these kind of the, the programs that are typically needed on these is some sort of brownfield remediation, transportation, um, you know, anything to, because typically the road in and out of a mall isn't what you're looking for for a road for semi-trucks. Uh, so, you know, got to have your kind of your traffic abatements or your traffic, you know, grant programs or road development programs kind of up to date. And then, you know, anything with you can do to mitigate construction costs, whether that's, you know, sales tax, savings on construction materials, et cetera, uh, TIFs, uh, anything that can drive down some of the construction site development costs. Yeah, no, that's all good stuff. And I think that's, uh, those are all good points, especially, you know, as economic development professionals, I think, uh, um, you know, you're hit with so many things. I think it's good for, to hear the experts like you talk about it and say, Oh, you know what? That's a good point. We should, we should go after that. Um, my, my, my last question for you is, um, is you, you brought up Flint, but I think, um, what, what, what successes have you seen? What's the, what's kind of the best adaptive reuse of one of these malls that you've seen? Yeah, as, as I mentioned, there is a hospital up in Ontario, Ohio, which uh, that would be uh, the suburb of, of Mansfield. Used to be a big GM plant uh, there, so the mall was right next to the big, you know, multi-thousand acre OEM, kind of like what we were, were just talking about. But the local health center uh, went in and has redeveloped that mall into uh, a health a community health center, hospital. Uh, those sorts of things have really invested. It's kind of kept that area alive because that's really a compatible use because there are hotels, there are restaurants, there are things that are thriving in Ontario uh, right next to that. Uh, so it's, you know, now those workers at the hospital can go over and utilize those accesses and those services. Um, that's really been a, that's really been a big, a great success. And then, like I said, Flint kind of redeveloping a, a different brownfield site that sort of 
pretty creative adaptive reuse of that brownfield site, very similar to, to one of these projects. Um, but uh, yeah, there in Ontario has been the best best example of uh, redevelopment of uh, a mall site. So we gotta give a shout out to the, the folks up in Richland County, Mansfield, and Ontario for getting that done. Nice, they'll appreciate it. I mean, hopefully they listen to our podcast, Jason. So you know they'll they'll be all over it. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Well, uh, Dave, you got any you got any other questions for uh, for our buddy Jason? No, I I th- I think he's answered them all. I I think it's a great topic. I think it's complicated. Um, I, I think it's pretty easy to look at a Grapefield Mall and say, hey, you know, what the heck's going on with that? Um, so I, I, I think that due diligence you need to do up front to kind of figure out, you know, what, what, what does the lease say? What do the easements say? It's that due diligence is going to be really important. Now, I think if you can overcome that, I think it's a phenomenal market. And I don't care if it's mixed use or multifamily or logistics, um, these mall sites were put there for a reason and mm-hmm. the reason still exists. It's still, it's still, you know, in a high profile place, it's still connected to a great roadway system. Um, it's still around a lot of people. So it still fits and, and they're used to really big structures, right? So it is, um, uh, if they pass that, some of those due diligence questions that Jason went over, I think they can be phenomenal opportunities. Absolutely. Totally agree. Well, Jason, thanks a lot for your time and being on our podcast today. We, uh, our podcasts are so much better when we get to, you know, great uh, experts like you on it. So I really appreciate you being on and, uh, and helping us out and uh, giving everybody, you know, dropping, dropping some knowledge on our, on our thank, podcast. Thank you guys listening. for having me. All right. Thanks, thanks Jason. You're a great American. All right. Thanks. All right. Uh, thanks. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later, everyone. Have, have a great day. All right. All thanks, right. everybody. Bye. We'll see you guys. To learn more about the Montrose Group services, please visit MontroseGroupLLC.com.